The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to ACF Church. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. You just got your, like, your cuteness quota in for the day. Aren't those girls super sweet? Um, anyway, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If, uh, if you're new to ACF, uh, this, this is one of three different gatherings of our church, um, of the gathering of ACF Church. We also have a Wednesday night gathering at 7 p.m. and then at 9 a.m. And so you're at one of those three different gatherings of people that would all say they're part of this ACF community. And we're just glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here for this Christmas season. Um, we want to start off with this. We are setting a family goal this Christmas. We've never done this before, but um, if you're like me, Christmas kind of sneaks up on you. And then before it's done, you wonder, you know, could I have gotten more out of that? Could I have been a little bit more aware during that season? And maybe heard God speak to me in some, some different ways had I been more aware. So we're going to set some goals, uh, specifically this. Let's put this up on the screen. Our family goal is to celebrate the birth of Christ as if it were the first time you had heard it, being amazed and marveling at the incarnation of God with childlike astonishment. So don't you want that this season? Uh, I feel like this is a great goal for us, that we could look at Christmas this year with fresh eyes, as if it was the first time that we'd heard the story of God coming to earth to save humanity. The incarnation is simply a word that just simply means God in the form of a human, God as flesh, as Jesus, his son. And so I hope that you'll keep this in front of you. Maybe you just need to write this down and pin it up somewhere at the house this season. But uh, try to look at things with fresh eyes this year, especially if you're kind of a, a Grinch around Christmas. If you're kind of a cynic, you tend to kind of miss out on what's happening around you. Try to be more aware this year, and I think God's going to speak to us. So if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, I'd say download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. You can follow along there, or you can also read in Colossians behind me. We're going to spend this whole month in the book of Colossians, and so we try to always give you something to read. The book of Colossians is really small, and so if you're the kind of person that tends to want to read the Bible, but you don't really know what to read, and so you tend to open it up on the table, and then you close your eyes, and you pick a page, and you put your finger down, and you go, okay, that's my verse of the day. God, speak to me through this. And then you get really weird stuff every time, right? Uh, be a little more intentional than that. You can read through this book in probably less than 10 minutes, and it's going to be a great way to start your day, and I encourage you to do that. But Colossians chapter 2, uh, I'm calling this morning, We're Full. And as we enter into this Christmas season, we're going to talk about what it means to be a people who see themselves as full. And some of you guys are still full from last Thursday, right? Are you still feeling it? Like, tis the season to eat when you're not full, because you just ate so much the last meal that you're still feeling it the next meal. And if you're like us, we've had turkey on every meal since Thanksgiving. Anybody else? You guys still have turkey in the, in the fridge? Like, are you still trying to eat it, like on your, on your eggs in the morning? You're like, we're not going to waste any of this turkey. We have to eat it all, because that was the rule in my house growing up. We don't waste turkey, you know? You just, you got to eat everything. And so it's the season where we're going to eat a lot of food, and a lot of times we're going to feel 
full. And in fact, I don't know if you've heard this study, but there's actually a 20-minute delay between your brain and your stomach. Did you guys know this? Like you can eat and you can be full and it takes 20 minutes for your brain to know that your stomach is full. Which, when I figured this out, I realized that's the best way to eat all the good Thanksgiving food, is you just got to eat it fast. You just got to eat it as quickly as you can. And then when you get full, you feel horrible because you've eaten way too much, right? Well, I don't know if you felt that fullness this week. Um, Maybe you've said this. You've said, my heart is full. Have you ever said that before? Like, when is your heart full? For some people, it's like when the kids come home for Christmas, and everybody's in the house, and there's a little snow coming down outside. Maybe that's when you feel my heart is full. Or maybe when you're with some friends and you're at a coffee shop and you're having really good conversation on a cold winter day, and you'd say, my heart feels full. Or maybe when you're in the woods and you're looking at a mountain, or you're out hunting and you're experiencing this amazing state that we live in, and you'd say, man, my heart feels full today. Uh, For me, when I get up to preach the Word, I get to share uh, God's Word with you as the church. I get off the stage. Every time I walk off the stage, I feel like my heart is full. Like it's something like God is there with you, and He's with us when we do this. And what if you could feel that feeling more often? What if Christmas wasn't the only season that you could experience the, the peace and the joy and the fullness that people tend to experience in heightened ways this time of year? And I think that this book of Colossians is going to speak to us on that, on the fullness of God, how we can experience fullness more often. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's bow our heads and let's pray as we start off this morning. Jesus, thank you for the church. Thanks for the people in this room that have made space in their day to come here. Uh, They got in the car. Maybe they got the kids ready. They woke up when they were tired and they made their way to church. God, uh, we, we expect to meet with you today. And God, I pray that you would grow within us that expectation this season, that we could experience Christmas with that childlike astonishment with an expectation that God is with us and that that changes life today, that changes our futures, that changes everything. God, I pray for those in this room who Christmas is kind of a hard time of year for, maybe those uh, where it brings up feelings of loneliness and loss. God, I pray no matter where people are coming from today that we could experience your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I love Alaska. I love living in Alaska. I love our state and our city. Anchorage is a great city to live in. We moved up here about six years ago from Grand Junction, Colorado, our family did. And uh, Anchorage is a really diverse city, isn't it? It's really interesting. If you look around, there are a lot of different cultures in Anchorage. In fact, uh, one time we were sitting at dinner down in Anchorage when we first got here, And as we're eating our meal, I was listening and I could hear three different conversations in three different languages happening around me. And I was like, where are we? This is crazy. You know, and I don't know if you've seen this, but a few months ago, the area as you come into Anchorage called Mountain View was rated the most diverse community in the entire United States. You guys know that? Right as you come into Anchorage on the right side of the road, there's a neighborhood back in there where the Bass Pro Shop is and that whole area. The most diverse community 
in the U.S. And if you're a teacher in the schools, you'd see that. If you walk down the street in that area, you would see there's a lot of different cultures. It's kind of a melting pot of a lot of different people from a lot of different places. This book, this book, this letter actually from Paul was written to the church of Colossae, and these Colossian people were blended from all different backgrounds in this Roman Empire. And this Roman Empire was huge, and they say that Rome kind of shrank the world. And if you don't know much about Rome, Rome was 2.5 million square miles at its pinnacle, spanning three continents for about 1,500 years of rule. This is huge. And so when you get all of these people from different backgrounds under one society and one head and leadership, it kind of shrinks things, and it blends a lot of things together in the sense that I'd say that the Internet has shrunk our world, hasn't it? It's amazing that right now you can get on your phone and I can talk to Japan, right? I just send a letter like right now. I can hear from somebody across the world. I can get information to and fro that easily. It's, it's amazing what the internet has done for us, how we can be connected, how we can know what's happening all around. Sometimes I don't want to know what's happening on the other side of the world, but we know a lot of stuff. So here's what happened is that in this early church, because of all these different societies and different spiritual backgrounds and cultural backgrounds, Paul was worried about something called syncretism. And syncretism is simply the synchronization of yourself with another belief, with another type of philosophy or understanding of the world. This tendency that I think that we have in this world is that we have all of these different cultural backgrounds. When you watch TV, when you meet new people, uh, these, these ways of seeing the world, these ways of connecting with God or believing in some kind of spiritual force out there. And so what happens is slowly we kind of take an a la carte approach to our faith. Have you done this? Where you're like, hey, I like a little bit of Hinduism. Maybe I like a little bit of Catholicism. Maybe I like a little bit of Christianity. You know, maybe I like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you blend these beliefs together. And pretty soon you have your own personal blend of Christianity. It's the Christmas blend. You know, it's like my own coffee blend of of faith where it's just the perfect mix to make me happy, right? And pretty soon it becomes less about what is true and more about what makes me comfortable. Because we can pick from this and choose from that. And, and, and we, we, we lose the desire to seek for one truth. And I believe there is a truth to learn. And Paul was saying, hey, be careful because what you're doing is you're losing your faith. You're losing the truth. You're watering down the one truth that exists. And he says, basically, you're mixing things like theology and philosophy. Anybody take philosophy in school? Anybody take philosophy classes? Always very interesting. As you listen to different ways of looking at the world and looking at life, and then if you're a believer, you you then have this kind of conflict sometimes between what you believe and what actually is. And it ends up, for many people, being this weird blended way of looking at spirituality. Philosophy is simply this. If you don't know what philosophy is, it's kind of our way of seeing the world which theology is the, is the other side. It's God's way of seeing the world. And so as Christians, we have theology, and theology is the study of what God thinks. Philosophy is more of the study what, of what man thinks. And so there's a lot of philosophies. We say a lot of things, I think, that blend into the way that we see the world. Um, there's, there's some popular things like karma. If you hear people talk about karma, which is kind of like this, this Buddhist and Hindu background, this way of like, hey, dude, 
Don't screw that up or it's coming back on you. Or, hey, man, help the lady across the street because then life's going to go better for you. Throw a couple bucks in the plate at church because then maybe God's going to have a little more grace with you later on in the week. It's, it's karma. You know, it's like a one for one. If I do good, then maybe good's going to happen to me. And I hear a lot of Christians like say, don't do that. Bad karma, bro. You know, and it's, okay, do you realize what that means? Do you realize that you've blended your, your Christian belief, if you're a believer, with something else? That there's a, there's a combination going on there. And so we read quotes. Maybe you post cute little quotes on Instagram and Facebook because it's got a picture of a flower in the background, you know, and it's got the, you know, the cool blending around the edges. And you're like, that's cool. And then you read it and you're like, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a really pretty picture, right? You know, it's, so there's all kinds of quotes. Um, I ran across a quote this week um, on my Instagram. It said, it's far better to be alone than, than to be in bad company. George Washington. It's far better to be alone than to be in bad company. I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's better to be with somebody than to be with nobody, even if they're kind of a jerk. You know, I, I don't know if that's true, but George Washington said it, so it's kind of cool and it looked great on Instagram. Um, there's a lot of things like that. Have you ever said, when it rains, it pours? Have you said this? It's like when, when life is a mess and things go wrong, you say, yeah, man, when it rains, it pours. Does it? <laughs> Does it really? Like, so you've never really had one bad thing happen to you? They always come in, in, in sync sequence with others, you know? Is that really how it works? Not necessarily. Uh, how about this one? You guys, uh, this, is, this is a pretty deep one. If you're not first, you're last, right? Right? Who said it first? No, Ricky Bobby's dad. That's right. Somebody over here said it. So every service has gotten that wrong. It's from Ricky Bobby's dad. So anyway, um, yes, theology. It's important. It's important. But what, what people do is they start blending these ways of looking at the world. And they're like, hey, did you know if you're not first, you're last? I mean, this goes deep, man. And you start staking your life and your belief system on things that aren't necessarily grounded theologically. We want, we want our beliefs to be grounded in theology. And we don't want to water down the truth of the gospel for something less. And I would say this, Christmas season for a lot of people is not much more than a childish fable. Would you see this in the world? That it's really kind of a cute time of year for the kids to believe in something. In fact, uh, our family had a, had a Christmas movie on last night. And the whole point of the movie was about the kids believing and the adults not believing. And at the end of the movie, it was just about believing. And not even just in Santa Claus, but just believing, having belief. And the whole, the whole overarching theme was, would you just have belief? And I thought, well, that's a good start, you know? It's a good start to say, I have belief. But, but what is your belief in? Is it in something true? Is it in something right? Do you even care, or is it enough to simply have belief? You might call it spirituality. You might say, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. And if I ask, what do you believe in? You might say, I don't know. But there's this desire to believe in something, which I would say is a great start. But we want to believe in one thing. We want to go towards the truth. In this Christmas season, it all comes down to belief in Jesus. What do you think about this Jesus that we're celebrating this time of year? Let's read in Colossians 1.15. I think this really paints a picture of who we're talking about. It says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow, right? There's some theology for you. There is a picture of the Jesus that we celebrate. You see, when I read that and I think about this Jesus, I think you can't just sort of celebrate this guy. You can't just come to Christmas and go, yeah, baby Jesus, it's cool. Because that baby doesn't stay a baby, right? You know this. They, they never stay cute and little. They always grow up. But Jesus, he, he wasn't just a baby. He wasn't just part of the nativity scene. He grew up. He became a man. He learned. He became uh, th- this exact thing, the sacrifice for all of humanity. He's the image of the invisible God. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This man became the more, most divisive man that ever walked the earth. I mean, he, he is the kind of guy that can split a family, that can cause division between friendships. He's the kind of man that has caused wars and battles for thousands of years. He's, he's not a neutral party. Jesus, Jesus calls you to make a decision. You have to decide, what do I think of Jesus? You can't sort of be okay with Jesus. It's that whole idea, and you maybe you've heard this said before, that Jesus, he was either God or a lunatic, but he's not both. He can't be somewhere in the middle. You have to make a choice. Who is this Jesus? He says things like, before, before Abraham was, I am. He makes claims to be God. He says he forgives sins, which is what he got killed for. The Pharisees were like, uh-uh, only God can do that. Jesus says, Exactly. It's who I came to be. He heals the sick. He says, I won't be killed. He breaks all the religious rules. This guy, Jesus, he was so much more than a child. So I'll flip over to Colossians 2. Now that we kind of talked about who is this Jesus, let's talk about how we're going to relate to him, how we're going to relate to theology and to the truth. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive. This, this is kind of like somebody trying to steal something from you. Like, see to it that nobody takes you captive. And I don't know if you know somebody that's always paranoid, always kind of holding onto their wallet like somebody's going to mess with me. You know, you always sit in the corner of the room. You're always worried that somebody's going to take something from you. Well, in Christianity, if we're a believer in Jesus, a, a pr- pursuer of the truth, then that means we're going to look at the world kind of this way. Not that you're always going to be paranoid and afraid of people, but that you're going to look at things that people say with a critical eye, and you're going to go, how does this align with what I know to be theologically true? Because the philosophies of the world can take you captive, can't they? You can find yourself believing things and thinking to yourself, does this fit with my worldview? Does this fit with what I say I believe about God? Are they, are they the same? Because in this early church of all kinds of people from different backgrounds and different religions coming together there would have been a tendency to blend it all together and to be taken captive by things that weren't true. Now, I don't know if you've ever been taken captive or robbed of something. Um, I was going through my week uh, a few months ago, and I was on social media. I was flipping around, killing some time, and I was feeling good about myself, feeling good about my life. Um, things, were, things were going well in that week, 
And then all of a sudden, I felt like my joy and my peace was robbed from me um, by this. Does anybody know what this is? This is awesome. So, are you figuring it out yet? So this is the bacon clock. Um, if you've never seen the bacon clock, it is amazing. Uh, I'd never seen it before. Somebody shared this on my page. And this is amazing. It's very simple. You set the alarm clock, and 10 minutes before you wake up, it starts cooking your bacon. So that when you wake up, you have fresh bacon to eat right by your bedside. Praise the Lord. I mean, this... This is a sign of the reconciliation of Jesus to the world. I mean, this is amazing. This is so good. Talk about God loves us. He gave us bacon. And, and so I was looking at this, and I was like, ah, I've lived an empty exis- existence. Like, my life has been shallow. I can't believe I've made it this long without the bacon clock. I, I, felt, I felt like somebody had stolen my peace and like I was no longer okay with my world and I needed the bacon clock to fulfill my life. And so it's on my list. So if you want to get me a bacon clock, um, I am totally down with that. Uh, multiples are fine. I can have them in every level of my house. I'm totally down with that. But the bacon clock, it's funny how something like that, you're doing good. You're going throughout your day. You're at peace with the world. You're at peace with yourself. You're doing fine. And then something happens, and it feels like somebody just sucked the wind out of you and stole your joy. And all of a sudden, you're not, you're not okay with yourself, and you're not okay with the life that you have, and you're not okay with the things that you have. And then you have that, that feeling inside of you like, I need to satisfy this. And the only way to satisfy it is more bacon, right? That's the only thing that's going to satisfy this thing, or whatever it may be in your life, you know? And all of a sudden, you've been, you've been robbed of your peace. He says, see too that, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. One other translation says nonsense, by nonsense. See to it that nobody takes you captive by nonsense. Here's another thing people say. Um, they say things like, be true to yourself. It's a good thing to say, right? Be true to yourself. I always hear that. I'm like, what if you are a jerk, right? Or do you really want to be true to yourself? And, or millennials, millennials love this one. We say, hey, never apologize for who you are. And I'm like, but who, what if who I am just sucks, right? And I should just apologize for that because sometimes I'm, I'm just, I'm not good. I, I'm mean to people. I don't say the right thing. I offend somebody. And, you know, I just offended somebody by saying sucks. And so, like, I... What do I do with that? I, I shouldn't apologize for that because I should just, you know, lo- love who I am, love who you are. It's like, I don't know if that's really the way we need, to lo- we need to live, you know. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. How many graduation speeches have you heard somebody say that? You guys can do anything. Conquer the world. And I'm like, no, don't tell them that. Uh, I'm just never going to be an NBA player. I'm just not. God didn't build me for that. No matter how much the desire is in my heart, I'm just, it's not going to be me. Uh, there are things that we're meant to do and things that we're not meant to do. And not that you shouldn't dream. You're like, Brian, you just crucified dreaming. No, you can dream. You can dream, but you can't do anything. That is for sure. And so (laughs) you have to blend the worlds, right? You have to go, okay, so do I want to stake my life on this? You know, it sounds great. and Everybody's like, yay, but do I really want to live based on this philosophy? So that's when, as believers, it's important that you get theology. 
that you have a way of looking at the world through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the Bible, to go like, I don't know if that's right. Because if I follow that, somebody's going to rob me. Somebody's going to rob me, or I'm going to feel robbed. So this can look um, like a lot of things in our lives, philosophy and empty deceit. It can look like traditions. He says, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we can end up robbed by what God, or from what God has for us by the traditions that we have, by the way that we approach our life and the way that we approach spirituality. So you may have um, a certain way that you approach God. Maybe you have certain traditions. Christmas season is full of traditions. We have this Christmas tree thing that we hang on the wall. It's a big piece of felt with a tree on it. And every single morning, the kids, we all get up, and they pull out a little ornament, and they pin it on the tree. And this is our Christmas tradition. It's something that we do as a family. But what happens for a lot of people, especially Christians, is we start to worship the traditions instead of Jesus himself. We start to put a high value on how we approach God, and we start to lose the God that we're trying to approach in the traditions. And this was the tendency in this early church with a lot of people who are Jewish uh, believers who've come from this Jewish background with all kinds of things that they had to, to approach God, these ways to, to do this, that they were going, okay, what does this mean to approach God in light of Jesus? How will we do this without becoming lost in our traditions? Some of you get lost in your traditions. For some of you, it's, it's this time of year, you got to hear certain kinds of music in church. Um, for me as a worship leader, I remember going through all the worship wars. Anybody around for that? Where people were battling over contemporary and traditional Christian music, you know, and, and the church was divided over this. And I'm like, are, are we really focusing on what matters here? Um, it, it was dividing the church. There are other things that, that divide the church. And it's all about tradition or, or, or philosophy, and it's not about theology. Now, theology are things that, okay, we can be a little divided if we want to, if it's important pieces of theology. Jesus is God. I'll fight you on that one. You know, like, let's have a good talk about that. If you're like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. So that's good. If, if you're saying you're a Christian and you don't believe that, let's have a good conversation about that one. But if you're like, yeah, man, I don't like drums. And I'm like, cool. I got nothing to say. I, I do. Um, you know, I'm down with that. That's all right. So we have to choose the right things and not be, not be strung up in our traditions. But traditions can be good when kept in the right place, right? Some of you know this, where you moved away from home. And Christmas is different now, isn't it? You moved away from home, and this year you're not going to be around your family. And you're feeling a little lost, and you're like, but, you know, what about mom's cinnamon rolls? Every Christmas morning there were, there were the cinnamon rolls, and now we can't have that. Well, let me encourage you. Make a new tradition. Find a new way to experience Christmas, and it'll be good. But you have to focus on the things that matter, what Christmas is actually about. See, what happens here is we start to think that approaching God has something to do with us, something to do with how we do it and the way that we approach him and the methodology that we use to approach him. Jesus said this to the religious leaders. He says, you can clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside of the cup, you are a mess. You can look all pretty on the outside. You can do all of the right things. And yet on the inside, you are a wreck. It doesn't matter how you approach God. Approach God. You see, in the Christmas story, you're not the hero. Jesus is. Jesus is the hero. And you might say, yeah, Brian, that's kind of a no-brainer. But it's not a no-brainer. 
We need to know this to our very core, that we are not the hero. Jesus is the hero. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I love that passage. Because it answers the question, how do we access God? Through Jesus. Not through traditions. Not through your spiritual history or how you think you should do it. Not through your laws and good acts and good deeds. You access God through Jesus and Jesus alone. And he says, you've been justified through faith. You've been justified. And if you don't know uh, the term, the, the theological term is justification. And uh, justification, the easy way to remember what it means is it's just as if I never sinned. Just as if I had never done anything wrong. I made just and right in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. Not through anything I did, not through my traditions, not through my spiritual background, not through my parents who were super religious, not through going to church, not through tithing my money, not through singing at worship, not through greeting at the door. I am made just in the eyes of God through Christ alone. Through not just his death, and this is important. We talk a lot in the church about Jesus died for my sins, but do you know that he lived so that you could be righteous? Like, it wasn't just anybody that died for your sins. This was God himself who lived the perfect life that you could never have lived so that you can be righteous today in the eyes of God, not just so you can go to heaven after you die. You are made righteous now, here, today, because of Jesus, and we need it. <laughs> we need Jesus. We need his righteousness and not our own, because alone we are unrighteous. You guys know that? We are unrighteous without Christ. And I, I see this in my life, and this is so important, you guys, that we have a, we have a biblical understanding, not just a philosophical understanding, but a biblical theological understanding of our own sinfulness and the way that we act. And I, I see this come out all the time in my life. At the times I least expect, expect it, this, uh, this summer, I was driving through our neighborhood, and we have kids all over the place in our neighborhood, and kids are coming out and playing in the street, and I always try not to run them over. And, and finally, I see that one of these homes they bought, this little dude from Costco, it's this little like fluorescent orange plastic guy. Have you guys seen these things? And he's got like a six foot long flag in his hand. And then at the end of the flag, it says, slow down. And so one day I'm driving through the neighborhood and this little plastic guy is like five feet out in the street with a little slow down flag. And I'm coming through and you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to run that thing right over. I'm like, you can't tell me to slow down. You can't, you're not the boss of me, right? You're not a street sign. You're a, you're a little Costco sign. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to run that over, you know? And all of a sudden, I'm like, where is this coming from? I don't want to run a kid over. Why can't I just slow down? But it's because they told me not to, you know? It's like, told me, told me to slow down, and I'm not going to do it. It's like, if I told all of you, I, I just need you to sit on this side of the room today, or if I made you flip-flop sides, what if I just did that? Just flip. You, some of you are like, I'm out of here. Peace out, bro. You don't tell me where to sit. I sit where I want to sit, you know, just because I told you to, right? We have this natural rebellion inside of us, don't we? And I know this is in my heart, and I see it come out at the weirdest of times, and it's a reminder to me that I can't be righteous on my own. 
Do you know anybody that's self-righteous? You'd say, that's a self-righteous person. Self-righteousness, I looked it up. It says this, confidence in one's own righteousness, especially when smugly moralistic and intolerant of the opinions and behavior of others. (laughs) What What was interesting about this definition is I read that and I'm like, that's strange because that's how a lot of people would describe Christians. Isn't it? Isn't that how a lot of people would describe the church? Smugly moralistic and intolerant of the opinions and behaviors of others. And I thought, and I'm like, that's convicting because we as the church should be the pillar of those who know that they have a need for a Savior, shouldn't we? I mean, we should be a shining light in the community of those who are like, I don't have this alone. I need help. I'm not okay with myself. I'm not okay on my own. I am ringing the bell, raising my hand. I need help. I am not okay. That's the church. That's the church. So we don't want to be self-righteous. We want to be righteous because of Christ. You see the difference? It's very, very different. And I'm not saying don't pursue righteousness. If you're like, that's cool. I'm righteous because of Jesus. So I can run the sign over. But no, like (laughs) pursue righteousness. Pursue holiness. Scripture's so clear. Pursue holiness. But what you need to understand is that you can never make yourself holy. This is the tension that we live in, that we need to pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, but understand that only, we can only be holy through Christ. And if you don't get this, what you end up with is what I would call narcissistic spirituality, which is this, like, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to act super holy, I'm going to do all the right things, and I'm going to try to get God to love me. And, and it sounds like partially good, Right? It sounds partially good, like maybe you're saying, no, Brian, I'm just pursuing sanctification. I'm trying to get my life together. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing holiness. The Bible says that I should do that. But what you really end up with is somebody who's obsessed with themselves. And maybe you've heard, it, heard the gospel even presented like this. Hey, I know you're a sinner. I know you make mistakes. I know you need a savior. The gospel is this. God, he comes to save you for you. He came to earth because of you, because he loves you, and he wants to to bring you home, and he wants to make a way for you to connect with God. Now, that's true, except the thing that that I see in that presentation of the gospel is that it's all about you. It's as if the whole universe revolves around us, right? When really the true gospel, when you understand the good news and the story that Jesus has of the kingdom of God, And you understand that the gospel really isn't just about us. It's primarily about God. You know, we get invited into his story. It's not just about God coming to save us, which he does. It's the greater story of God's glory on this earth and how we're created to honor him. That's a different kind of gospel, isn't it? It's it's a small shift. But if you see the gospel that God loves me, he's all about me, what you end up with like is the, the narcissistic uh, spiritual person says, I hope that Jesus loves me. I hope that he's cool with me. I hope that we're okay. And I'm always trying to get my life together so that Jesus loves me. But the justified believer says that I'm learning new ways to love Jesus because he's awesome, because it's all about him. Everything's about him. Do you see the difference? One is about getting my life together. One is about, I sure hope I get to heaven. I sure hope that I'm okay. I sure hope that he's fine with me. The other person's like, I'm good, I'm full. My life now is just all about honoring him because really the whole story is about him. 
It's a different way of seeing the gospel, and that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about this Jesus that comes down to earth. And in the end, it's a greater story that we're invited into. And if you don't get this, if you don't transition from the kind of person that's the narcissistic spiritual person to the person that is justified, what you're going to end up with is this kind of bipolar Christianity where one day you're all motivated to serve at church and to tell everybody about Jesus, and the next day you're like, yeah, I don't need to do that. Because you're, you're measuring and you're weighing and you're going like, no, I did a good thing yesterday, so I'm cool with God. He's, he's good with me. And then you mess it up and you're like, okay, now I've got to do some more good stuff so that God's okay with me. Instead of a lifestyle of responding to the goodness of God with everything in your life. So that you don't have to bounce around every day like, oh, God doesn't love me. I've got to act a little bit better. Oh, I, I hope that we're good. You know, I hope that I've done enough. I hope that I've served enough. And I hope that I've told enough people to come to Christmas Eve, you know, so that God's going God's gonna to love me. I and mean, it doesn't work that way. Be justified. Be full. You can be full today. Think of the story of Peter. Peter gets called out to walk on water, which would have been awesome, right? I mean, I just, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could get called to walk on water. Maybe I will someday, I don't know. But here's Jesus floating on the water. Pretty cool, great party trick, you know, like Jesus walking on the water. And then here's Peter in a boat. He's like, come to me. He steps out of the boat. I'm guessing his knees were knocking. He was probably a little scared, but he's, he's focused on Jesus. He's focused on the sustainer, the filler, Jesus. The only time that he sank was when he lost sight of where the power was coming from. When he lost sight of the sustainer and he put his eyes on himself. It's easy to do that as a believer, I get it. It's easy to become obsessed with my own junk and my own problems. And then at some point you find yourself wallowing in this big mess going, I can't get it together. I need help. So you circle back around and you go, in the end, as a believer, you are justified by Christ and you are full. You couldn't be any more full than you are with Christ. So it starts with this. It starts with looking at who Jesus really was and understanding how he did this for us. The first thing is this. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. He's the fullness of God. He's not part of God. He's not like a mini God. He is God himself in the flesh. Verse 9 said, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of the deity. I think a lot of people see Jesus kind of like this. Like he's kind of the mediator between this angry God and you. And you're like, I want to put Jesus in between us because God's ticked. And you forget that Jesus is God. Like when I say when I say God came to earth, what image do you have in your mind? Is it like lightning bolts and floods and, and earthquakes and hurricanes? Like, when you're like, hey, God is coming to earth. What do you think of? You think like run, right? Run, hide in a bunker somewhere. Get out of here because dad's coming home. We are busted. We are busted. God's coming to earth. Get ready. But what we read right here is that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in the flesh. And some of you need to hear this. Jesus said in John 14, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is Jesus saying, I am him. I am God. 
And if you grew up in this kind of abusive spiritual situation where you were manipulated by fear, somebody was like, hey, God's gonna, God's gonna send you to hell. You know, it was always about this angry God. And it was never about God loving you. Then, then you need to know this, that, that the picture that you have in your mind of God needs to be painted with the brush of Jesus. Like, repaint it. If you're like, if you're struggling with that, read the words of Jesus, read the Gospels, and repaint the picture you have of God through the lens of Jesus. Emmanuel, we sing this song. We sing songs every year, every Christmas, that say Emmanuel, which means, who knows? God with us, right? Emmanuel means God with us. We say it every Christmas. Do you know what that means? That means that if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, and you're going to see God. And we need to see this and know one thing. Number two, apart from God, we are empty. We are empty. Jesus is the fullness of God. And apart from God, we are empty. No matter how much good you do, no matter how many times you, you kick some kind of sin in your life out, um, you're still going to want to run over the Costco sign. It's just going to keep coming. And you know this, if you've been a believer for a while, you, you've maybe kicked some bad habits, you've tried to start some good habits, you've tried to get your life together a little bit, and you've seen that they just keep coming, right? You keep realizing there's new things that you need to be doing. And every time you're like, I kicked this habit, a new one shows up, don't they? You're like, hey, I stopped smoking. And you're like, dang it, now I'm drinking. You know, ah, where'd that come from? You know, you kick the drinking. You're like, now I'm like lying to my boss over here. I got to fix that, you know. You stop lying to your boss, and now you've got this issue with a relationship over here. You've got an anger problem. I don't know what it is, but every time you kick something, you find something else, and that is the life of a believer in Jesus. That is the journey that we're on. Like, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've stopped finding things, it's not because you've figured it out. It's because you stopped looking. Like, we got to keep looking, and we got to know that, hey, we're We're empty. We're empty. We are spiritually bankrupt all on our own. We have to know that. I want to read uh, from the book of Haggai, which we don't spend that much time in Haggai, but I want to talk about this, this one passage that I think speaks to this so well. And if you don't know this story, I mean, there's this, Jerusalem's been destroyed. This remnant of the Jews are coming back into the city and they've been given one thing to do. It's like, you've been given one job. You have one job. It's to rebuild the temple. God says, rebuild the temple. It's the first thing you need to do is you honor me. You, you come in, you set things up in the city, and you rebuild the temple so that you can worship me. And what do they do? They come into the city. What's the first thing they do? Rebuild their homes. Get their lives together. And the temple is left in ruins. And he says this in Haggai 1.5. He says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. I thought this spoke perfectly to this way that we live, always trying to fill ourselves up. We're like, hey, I'm going to do that once I get my life together. No, I've, I have great intentions, God. One day I'm going to do exactly what you're calling me to do. But in the meantime, I got this stuff to deal with. I'm sure you understand. And so we think by taking care of our things or the things that we feel like are important, we're going to get full and we're going to feel better. And then we can go back to what God thinks matters, back to honoring him with our lives. 
And it's kind of like putting money in pockets with holes in them. Did you ever do this as a kid? Did you ever like leave the, the store, the gas station, you got yourself a soda, you had a little change, you stuck it in your pocket, and then like you got home later and you're like, oh, where'd it go? You know? And you're like checking your shoe. Did it stay in my shoe? Yeah, I mean, have you done this? This is what it's like as you try to do good things, as you try to take care of yourself first. It's like trying to fill up a bucket with holes in it, with water, and it just keeps pouring out. You can't, you can't get it full enough. And some of you know this. You've been trying your whole life to feel full, and you never feel satisfied. You never feel good. One commentary says this, Many good works have been intended, but not done. Because men supposed the proper time was not come. Thus, believers let slip opportunities of usefulness and sinners delay the concerns of their souls until it's too late. What plane are you thinking on as you look at your life? Are you thinking on the physical? Are you just hoping to fill up the pockets so that you can feel good, so that you can be full? You see, when we have become the center of our lives, it's like our pockets have holes in them. And it's always draining out. It's it's why we were designed to give our first and our best to God. Like, we really need to do this. We need to be the people who put God first. And the reason is not because, it's not a religious thing that I'm saying. Like, just do this so that God will love you. I'm saying you literally were not designed to be first. Like, humans were not designed to be the center of our own universe. It's, It's why it's a mess. Look at all of the horrible things that have happened in our world, and you can boil it all down to humans thinking that they should be God that they should be the center of the the universe, that it's all about us. It was just never intended to be that way. That's not how the world was created. So we experience the sin of Adam today as much as ever. The third thing I want you to realize is that every human desire is satisfied in Christ. All the things you want, that sense of satisfaction, that feeling of fullness that you want this Christmas season, you just, you want to experience that joy, that satisfaction, it's found only in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been filled in Jesus. So stop trying. Stop trying to fill yourself. You maybe have heard it said this way, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You can't add anything to him. And I guess you could flip it around that anything without Jesus is nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and anything without Jesus is nothing. Understand this, that Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy every one of your desires. He's not some kind of supplement to life. He's actually the source of life. You get that? Like you can't sprinkle some Jesus on all your efforts and feel better about yourself. He is the source of your life. He's the only place that you can get that desire met. I had this weird experience a couple months ago. I woke up one morning, and uh, I walked into the bathroom and uh, turned on the sink, and the water came out, and I was just like, no way. It's weird. This, you're like, yeah, what are you smoking, Pastor? No, listen, like, I turned on the water, the, the, wa- the water came out, and I was like, are you kidding me? Has anybody seen this? like magic, and it's clean, and I'm like, somebody somewhere, like way downstream, filtered this and got all the mosquitoes and, and, and dirt and junk out of this water and then chlorinated it 
And then I just like, I flip up the little thing on the, on the sink and it turns on and water. And I just watched it for like five minutes. Super wasteful. Wasted a ton of water. And, and I was just mesmerized by the simplicity of water coming out of a tap. So I know you're like, you're super holy. Good for you, Brian. No, listen, I don't, I don't live like this all the time. I don't notice the things around me, but it was just, it was an interesting moment, moment where I woke up and I felt so thankful. Like, has anybody seen what's going on in the bathroom? You never want to hear that around the holidays. Uh, but that's funny. Um, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, have you seen this? The sink, it's filling up with water. This is crazy. And so I don't know for you if you realize this, but the things that you take for granted are somebody else's greatest desire. I mean, I was thinking about like somebody somewhere, this is the dream of their life. Just clean water coming out of a tap somewhere. I mean, they would be amazed by this. And I'm like, yeah, do it every morning. I mean, I feel like sometimes, like guys, you should come home and open the door and your wife's there and she'd be like, you're still here? That's awesome. That's so great. I can't believe it. You, you, you stayed and your, the kids are still here. Oh my, I mean, you should be aware of these. I don't think that we live like this, do we? I mean, think of the things in your life that, that if they went away, you would miss them. But we don't live like, we're like, oh yeah, that's always going to be there. She's always going to be there. They're always going to be there. The things that you take for granted are, granted are somebody else's greatest desire. You see, when you realize that you've been filled by Christ, all of the provision in your life will be something that creates praise instead of pride. You feel that? Like, I look at my stuff and I have pride in what I've accomplished. But when you realize that you've been filled by only Christ, then it's going to draw out worship and praise because he's done this for you. I had a therapist come to the Wednesday night service. I didn't have her come because I needed a therapist, although I might. But she showed up at church, a therapist, and she caught me after church. And she's like, hey, the term for that, I don't know if you know this, is relative depravity. It's, it's like you've got, there's somebody somewhere, there's a woman who has millions of dollars in her bank account and this huge mansion of a house and her husband buys her the BMW instead of the Porsche and she's like, I wanted the Porsche. And she's so upset that her husband got her the wrong car. Like some, somebody somewhere is ticked off and you're like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. You're like judging her, right? And then somebody somewhere else has just, you know, immigrated into the U.S. from a third world country and he's a janitor somewhere and he's the happiest janitor you've ever met in your life. Totally satisfied. Like, wants to do this job with all of his might, loves it, is grateful for it, thankful that he can feed his family, thankful that he's got running water. The man is so happy. It's relative depravity. It's this, it's this way of looking at the world that's all relative based on what you've had or what you think that you need. Again, as a believer in Jesus, you could not be any more full. Do you want to stop being tossed by the waves of your society, by the waves of your, um, your income or your stuff? Do you want to, be, you want to have peace that, that sticks instead of goes away every time that you feel a little concerned about the balance of your bank account? It comes from knowing that you are full. And then what happens when you're full is that when, when Jesus is all we, are, we need, we're free to give. This is the outcome of, of a full life. 
If you know somebody that's super generous, super giving, super helpful, they're always there for people, they're always willing to lend a hand, they're always involved with stuff, it's probably because they feel full themselves. And Jesus is the only one that can give you that sense of fullness, and it's going to result in a life of generosity and a life of giving to others. You need to know this. You're never going to get full. You're never going to get full. You can only be full. We're going to do something uh, this morning. We started a tradition last year called Dollar for Change. And Dollar for Change is our way of acting out the grace that's been given to us. And so what we said, we've announced this for a few weeks, is, is just bring a $1 bill to church. And we're going to take an offering during worship. You can come up the aisle, and we don't have communion out this morning. But I want you to put a $1 bill in one of these boxes. And since we started this, we've been doing this every three months or so, three or four months, we, uh, you guys bought a car for a family that didn't have a car. And because of the car, the husband got a job and now has sustainable income for his family because they didn't have a car. So isn't that awesome? Yeah, praise God for that. Because of what you guys have done, um, a single mom that didn't have working appliances, a working washer and dryer, got a working washer and dryer. Because of you guys giving, we helped a family who had a little boy who had a, a heart transplant get the medical care that he needs. Because you guys stepped in and said, I'm going to be a part of the work that happens through the ministry here at the church. And so we said, hey, bring a $1 bill. And some of you guys are like, here it comes. This is when he asked for my money. Listen, it's a buck, right? And I get this. Some of you, this will be the most that you've ever given at church. I know it's funny, but I'm honest, right? Just be honest. Some of you, this will be the first thing that you've ever done. And that's okay. It's, it's a first step, and, and it's valuable. Because here's the thing. Some of you are, are struggling, and I totally get that. You are struggling. You're like, it's Christmas, and I don't know if I'm going get, to get presents for my kids. Others of you are like, yeah, I got, I got plenty of money. A buck is nothing. But some of you, you had to work hard to get this dollar bill. Praise God for that. That's awesome. This is a first step. And so during worship, we're going to receive that offering. And uh, we've already got a couple things in mind that we hope to do with it. And we're going to tell you the story of what happens when people stand up and they take care of what God says is important first. Let me just tell you, the people who do are the people who feel full in this room. I want you to watch this clip real quick. Hey, ACF, I'm Pastor Josh, and we're down here in Ensenada, Mexico, building a house for a family that was in desperate need for a house. And first of all, I just want to say thank you. This house build would not have happened without your generosity during our last dollar for change, and even beyond that, of all the donations that came in to help this house. I want to introduce you to the family that's going to be receiving the house. This is Patricia, Juan Pablo, and Manuel, and they are really excited to be moving into the house that we've been building for three days. Awesome. Hey, give yourselves a hand for doing that. That's what you did. So those three people were able to have a home because of the last time that you guys gave that dollar for change, which is crazy, right? To think that uh, you can give a dollar bill and somebody can have a house. They built it in like a week 
And I know they didn't look super excited about it on the, on the camera. You know, I'm sure they're not super excited about being filmed by a bunch of Americans, but um, you saw the emotion as she walked in to a home. And that's what happens when people come together and when people realize that their part to play is valuable. When people say, I'm not gonna wait for somebody else to step up and do what I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna do it myself. I'm gonna do what God calls me to do. And so I'm excited about what's next. I'm excited about having a season uh, this Christmas as a church that we can come together and we can celebrate what God has done for us with generosity in our city. Let's pray together. Just close your eyes for a second and think, what is it that you've taken for granted? What is it that if it was gone tomorrow, you would really miss it? How can you show your gratitude both to God and to the people around you for what you have? Jesus, we need to be full. And God, we have spent a lot of time trying to fill ourselves up. And God, we recognize that everything we try to do is worthless in your eyes aside from the grace of Christ. And that your word says that our good deeds, our good actions are like filthy rags before you. God, and we need to be a church that has received your fullness. God, could we leave here today knowing that we've been filled by Christ and we have everything we need to sustain us. And God, as we walk in faith, as we step out trusting you, that you will give us every need in every season to accomplish the work that you've laid out for us, both as individuals and as a church family. God, I pray for peace that sustains in this room. I pray for those who are down and struggling this Christmas season, that you'd give them an extra measure of joy. God, and we all want to pray that we could be filled today. God, for those in the room that have never experienced the fullness of Christ, we just pray together, God, fill us up. We've tried. We've tried to pick and choose. We've tried to take a lot of different beliefs and plug them together and feel satisfied. And yet, Christ, I want to say today, you are the only one that satisfies. So we receive your grace today, God. And we pray that we could worship you from that spot. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that today, if you receive Christ today, you can check the box on a communication card that says, um, I chose to follow Jesus and put that in the box, and we're just going to pray for you. We're not going to spam you. Uh, we just want to be praying for you. So love you guys. Let's worship together.